Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. All right, we are recording. Everyone good? We are recording. And we are recording. (laughs) Usually that's Bill Sutton who does that voice, um, but Bill's not here. And we are. So welcome, everybody. This is sort of a special roundtable. I'm used to seeing everyone on Zoom, so it's very strange to be in person. This is our podcast, 27 Speaks, and we are coming from Saratoga, New York, where we are at the New York Press Association Convention. And with us today is... Joe Shaw. Hey, Joe. Wow. Yes. Hi. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. And also with us today is Gavin Manu. Hey, Gavin. Hi, Annette. I'm Gavin Manu. I am the publisher of the Express News Group and also the president of the board of the New York Press Association. Very important given our discussion today. I'm Annette Hinkle and I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us today is the lovely Michelle Ray, who is the executive director of the New York Press Association. And really the star. And really the star. Absolutely. I I prefer the queen of the Queen of the Nile works. Queen of the Nile. So, um, Michelle, how long have you been heading up NIPA? Because I, I feel like you've been there about as long as I've been coming up 31 here. 31 years. Wow. That is, yeah. 31 years. Did you and think you would be here this long? You know what? I am somebody who likes to go and stay. I worked for a daily newspaper for 15 years, and I probably would still be there, but they were sold to a company that I didn't want to work for. So this was a great natural great. progression. Yeah, so now here you are. So this is the first time that we've had an in-person convention in... Three years. Three years. Yeah. Yeah. Three years. COVID shut us down in March of 2020 and uh, kept us shut down in March of 2021. Yeah. And uh, we were sketchy for April of 2022. It was sort of touch and go. Um, And a lot of people are still very fearful. And we had some companies who told us they invited as many as 30 members of their staff, and they ended up with only five or six coming. So is that more the staff members were uncomfortable coming, do you think? I think that was the case. Yeah, Yeah. that was the case. Yeah, I mean, we can speak for our our own company that we, you know, that we invited a lot of people to join us up here. And and I just think uh, habits have changed. You know, it's not just that people are concerned about getting into a room together. It's just they kind of want to stay close to their their life and close to their home. And, um, you know, I think that'll improve as time goes on. But I I think we're still facing those challenges. Right. Can you give us an idea, Michelle? What's at the peak of this event? Like how many people would you normally have and how does that compare to this year? At at our peak, we probably had close to 500, and we would have 26 or 27 of those would be trade show vendors. We have every year anywhere from 30 to 50 speakers who conduct collectively 64 workshops. And then I have about a dozen staff. Um, This year, we're down. We ended up uh, at a little over 200, like 202, I think, registrants. We had 21 trade show vendors, and I have 11 staff. We had 34 speakers. So it's down a little bit, but it's not down enough to hurt us. Mm-hmm. And the same with the membership? Is, is the, are the membership numbers down? The membership numbers are not down. They're very, very consistent. Really? What is different is consolidation. Um, as people have tried to retire or sell and either did or didn't, um, papers have been acquired. And for example, we have ver- one very large corporation in Brooklyn that now owns papers who formerly would have brought 10 or 12 
people individually to the conference. Now it's all under one umbrella, so far fewer people attend. Right, that makes sense. Well, even our company, the last time yeah. we had a live convention was two separate companies bringing, right. you know, each bringing eight or ten people, so. Yeah. Yeah. We have uh, five, five of us right? Time. And that's, right. that's what we ended up bringing this year. But, uh, and that's, you know, what I'm struck by, though, when, you know, we've had a couple of sessions where, where awards have been given out. I'm struck every year, but but it's even more so this year. It just seems like it accelerates. The number of different flags that are winning awards all over the state are – I'm hearing newspapers I've never heard in the, the many times I've been up you here are. for. And, and I think that's wonderful. I, I mean, when we first started coming – you know, I have almost 25 years now um, at the press. And when we first started coming up, there really were a cluster of – Absolutely. A dozen news organizations that won Perennial most of the awards. Winners. Yeah. Yep. That's not true anymore. It really is spread out all over the state. Which – speaks to something that I think is very special about New York. You can travel anywhere in the country and you will not see the quality of newspapers that we have here in New York. You'll see an occasional high quality paper in an occasional state. Here in New York, we have a virtual plethora of really, really, really good newspapers. And to your point, this weekend you've heard the words the Highlands Current. They launched that paper four years ago. That's awesome. And you hear their name from the podium. It's just, it's striking that people are going against the flow. Mm -hmm. Everybody says we're a dying breed. We're really not. There's mm -hmm. new people starting and really eager, talented, energetic people doing really good things in their communities. If you're winning awards, you're doing good stuff in your community, yeah. right? Right. That's what we think. Absolutely. That's what we're going to keep saying. That's so we, do you, we why do you think New York is, is such an outlier as far as having so many good papers? And because we have far fewer um, corporately owned papers. Mm. Ah. In New York, we have Gannett, we have Lee, we have uh, CNHI, we have Hearst has one paper, and that's it for corporate. So Gannett runs from... White Plains all the way to Rochester, and they have eight newspapers, eight daily newspapers. CNHI is in Plattsburgh, um, Glens Falls, Auburn, and Buffalo, and um, or actually that's Lee. And then um, we have a couple in Niagara, and a, we only have a handful. So out of the 721, we have like 18 that are publicly traded. So on a percentage basis. Everybody's an independent owner, an operator. It's it's a huge difference. And is that what's like kind of led to the news deserts that we're seeing in the middle heartland? Absolutely. Because those are basically bought up by hedge funds or big chains, and they just kill them off. Absolutely. I have to tell you, it's when I started my journalism career, working for an independent newspaper has always been my requirement. I won't work for. I never had any interest in working for a corporate news chain. Um, I worked for an independent newspaper in Pennsylvania. When I moved here, it was a requirement for me to leave that paper was I was only going to move to an independent paper. It was independently owned then. It's independently owned now. Uh, it makes an enormous difference. I have a lot of friends in the industry who have worked for chains, and, and some of them are wonderful, but some of them are not. And and I, I think it it's not always the case that the news drives what they do. There are other factors at play in the chain uh, organizations. I, I would just make one distinction there. So I try really hard not to use the word independent or chain. I try to use publicly traded or independently owned. Because you guys are a chain. You yeah. guys, yeah. you know. Um, and so the difference is, this is the Michelle Ray theory of what went wrong with the newspaper business. But um, when 
Gannett wanted to launch USA Today, they took Gannett public. And that was the first publicly traded company, newspaper company in the United States of America. And being publicly traded is something that newspapers should not be. Why? It, Explain because that. Because there's too much of a conflict between the board needing to take care of shareholder return and your responsibility mm -hmm. to the reader. You cannot satisfy your bottom line and also satisfy your obligation to journalism. They don't balance because journalism is expensive. It costs too much money. You can have a much higher margin if you're cheap on your journalism. And so that's mm -hmm. what happened to publicly traded companies. I don't think it was ever intentional, but that's what happened. And now it's like they just sort of chop them up for parts, right? right. Like the real estate's more valuable than the people in the building. Absolutely. Absolutely, and you'll see that with papers that used to be Rolls Royces, like the Boston Herald. It's a shell of its former self. Like because the Chicago it's Tribune, by, right? Absolutely. But the good big papers, like the Washington Post, the New York Times, you can call them liberal names or call them anything that you want, but they have private owners who are heavily invested in their journalism and in their newsroom and in taking them to the next level. There's a big difference between a big company and a publicly traded company. Interesting. I want to talk uh, about, just to bring it more local, um, I don't want to talk about us necessarily. I want to talk about newspapers on the east end of Long Island and in Suffolk County in general. It felt to me, again, and I'm looking back over the time that I've been on the island, when we first arrived, even since then, there was a pocket there of newspapers that were so good. I mean, there's just so many good newspapers serving that area. Um, and then at the time, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, there was a bit of a news desert in other parts of the island. And um, that's not so true anymore. But can you talk about how the East End's journalism community fits into the state journalism community? I, you know, talk about how – give us some context when you're looking from, from up here uh, at, the, at the news community in the state – what do you see when you look at the east end of Long Island? It's an anomaly. I mean, it's just outstanding in every way, different in every way. Um, the investment is, I mean, first of all, the, the stock, the size of the pictures, the, the thoughtful design, the, the amount of time that's actually put into packaging. Um, we just don't see a lot of other papers that either have the expertise or the resources to do that. But... When we go to ad agencies, yours are the papers we take as examples of, I know what your perception is of what weekly newspapers are, but here, take a look at these. Have you ever seen a paper like this? And we throw them out on the table and they're like flipping through them like because they haven't, because mm -hmm. you do everything right. And what I love so much when I take it to an agency or a client is I say, here's the front page. But here we go, inside, inside, inside. And the paper is just as good from the beginning as it is to the end. And it's thoughtful, and it's packaged with the reader in mind. Um, they're, I call them delicious, which is one of my words, but they're just, they're just so rich. Who wouldn't want this? They're thick and meaty. Thick and I think meaty. Well, we also live in, a, in an area that supports us financially, which, is, which I think is part of the conversation and why there's all this consolidation is that uh, some people have to, right? And 
um, and, and not all papers have the advertising base or the readership base to support great journalism. But there are still some small papers out there or some rural papers out there that aren't on the east end of Long Island that are still doing outstanding work. Absolutely, absolutely. They just have a different retail base, so the paper looks different. If you're in an agricultural area or a manufacturing area, you don't look like you do. They don't have an arts community. They don't have a summer population that comes in and spends all kinds of money on restaurants and whatnot. They just don't have that kind of a retail base. So I was curious, have you seen, you know, with the whole COVID thing, like when it first hit, we thought, oh, this is it. We are in trouble. We all did. Uh, and of course, like out by us, we had that weird bounce back where so much business, people fled New York to come out to where we are on the east end of Long Island, and, they, and it was busier than ever, and I think that that kept a lot of the economy humming along. Um, but I wondered, are there newspapers in the state that have fared very badly because of the COVID and then whatever else has been happening since? Like, have we lost newspapers in New York because of the last two years? I, uh, no, we haven't. That's the answer great. is no. And I think the reason is 2008 everything started to go south for the newspaper industry when Craigslist started and they lost their classified business and dailies and weeklies lost a lot of automotive advertising, they lost a lot of um, uh, real estate advertising. So they got lean and they got used to doing more with less. And when COVID came along, it was just another bump in the road, but COVID also gave us some gifts. Most people got a PPP, some people got small business loans, so people got an influx of capital that they didn't normally have, which helped them ride the wave. Hmm. Gavin, as the president of NYPA, what, what are you hearing? Are you hearing optimism? Are you hearing continued concerns? I mean, what, what, what's, the, what's the general overall feeling in the industry in, in New York right now with, the, with newspapers? Uh, there's definitely continued concerns, but, there, but, the, but it's sort of coupled with optimism. I mean, there's, we, we constantly have to remind ourselves and our readers about how important newspapers are and that people uh, do need to support us. And we need to do a better job of that, of, of marketing ourselves and promoting ourselves in our communities to let people know that we are critical to what, what you know, their lives. Um, but you know the, the the concerns are that we're that the the pie used to be you know three media outlets and now it's 50 and we have to we have to figure out a way and this will be you know the conversation for years to come about how we can uh, own some of those spaces as well uh, some places some companies are doing it better than others but even the small papers and and certainly our company is coming along and learning how to do that stuff so I, I felt like we've been at a crossroads for 10 years, <laughs> but we, uh, we still are, and, and there's, a, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity, but um, it's, gonna take some, it's gonna take some effort, and it's gonna take some, some marketing and some outreach by the papers in their communities to remind people constantly how important our work is and that it needs to be supported. I, I see a lot of energy on the editorial side, too. I mean, I just looking around the rooms in the, in the workshops and, and the conversations, there's a lot of energy and, and I think a lot of optimism. And, I, and one of the things that, that I think is really interesting is I've always found that all of our colleagues are really driven by trying to find the, the more innovative way to do what we do. What, what's next? You know, what, you know, and, and all of the stuff that we're doing with podcasts and digital and all that, I think, I think I see more and more papers 
are are not just contemplating that but doing it and that's exciting for me it's just fun for me to see so much energy about doing what we do better and continuing to do it and again i keep going back to i remember my you know the little piece of joe shaw trivia here my my first day of work at the southampton press was here um i i started at the paper and uh, Joe Lockheim, who was the publisher, said, I totally forgot. We're leaving today to go to the New York Press Association conference. Would you like to go? Um, sure. And so before I had ever worked with any of my reporters or anything, I was at NYPA with them um, and in a convention. Was it and Saratoga Springs? It was actually or was it in Albany? Albany. It was in Albany. Because, because they had the egg. Mm-hmm. We had the event at the egg and all that. And we took a fairly sizable crew up, including all of my reporters that I was going to be working with. And it was a nice bonding experience. But I remember looking at newspapers. You know, we always have the spread of all the newspapers out and looking at various ones and not being all that impressed mm-hmm. And that is absolutely not the case anymore. I, I think I think when you look at the spread of newspapers out there now, there isn't a there's not a clunker in the bunch. They are all really good newspapers now. I think to that point, something really really interesting. A newspaper has been one of the few corporations that, in its entire history, never thought that it had to reinvent itself or evolve. A newspaper is a newspaper is a newspaper, right? Every other business knew that it had to continually evolve and change if it was going to survive. And the newspaper industry was shocked in 2008 to learn that they lost real estate. It just came out of the blue. And they didn't know how to react because they never evolved. A newspaper was always what it was. And in 2008, it was sort of like, you know, a sharp stick to the eye. We have to do things differently. And I think since 2008, everything has been disrupted. And so the newspaper industry has finally learned to pivot. And I think that's what you're seeing. I I always call it the churn. I I say we're still in the churn from the internet, which is, to me, Gutenberg. I mean, it's the printing press. It's the same thing. And it's going to take a couple of decades to shake out all of the impact of that. And I think we're doing that now. I think we're, we're gaining ground really well now. Yeah, well, the competition sort of forced our hand, right? And, and, and we had to say, well, what do we do best and what do we, how can we serve our community best? Uh, can can uh, Facebook do that or can we do that? And uh, Facebook has, has made a pretty good run at it, but I think what a lot of newspapers have learned that is if they focus on really quality content and if they invest in reporting and, and lo- even, even on the business side, uh, ad salespeople who are out in their communities getting to know people, that we can do it better. And, um, and, then, and our readers will take notice of that. And um, so, yeah, the, all those disruptions sort of said, well, we better, we better um, step up our game a little bit. And I think that's what you see when you come to this convention, which is tremendously inspiring to be around other newspaper people who, um, despite the challenges, do remain optimistic because we, we love what we do and we know how important it is. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks, brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton, carrying a wide selection of new books, stationery, toys, games, first editions, and rare books. 
Their entire inventory is browsable on the website, SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations. What are you most excited about? I think I'm always most excited about what Gavin just said. I think in addition to not being an industry that innovated, on the other side, we were an industry that always had a mission. And our mission was always to be the guiding light in our community, to be the community forum in our community, to be the town hall in our community. And that's what we still are. And so to distinguish us from all of the national newspapers, we're way more important than any of them are because we tell you everything that you need to know about your own life. You know, what's happening in Ukraine is extremely sad, but it really doesn't impact me on a day-to-day basis. But what you put in your paper impacts me on an hourly basis. And I think that's, we are the place that can bring America back to a comfort zone. You can only do it in Southampton and in Sag Harbor and East Hampton maybe, but if you do it there and those people go back to Manhattan and the Manhattan, I, th- I really think we can make a difference. And I think that's, that's the thing that I'm always the most excited about, that we can make a difference and that we do make a difference every day. It's not that we can, we do. Mm-hmm. Michelle has led something called the Relevancy Project or helped lead something called the Relevancy Project. And it's exactly what we're talking about here, uh, c- convincing people that we are, our, our relevance is, is so important that, uh, that they do need to support us. And, uh, and we started talking this morning in a session about the Express Sessions. And um, those are the events that we do uh, with a panel of experts, and uh, we invite an audience into the room. And just this week, we held one in Montauk, and Joe is our moderator. I had to leave from Montauk to drive here, oh, by the way. Baby. Yeah, it was an extra hour right, and a half. Right. That's I, wasn't, That's I wasn't there, which I usually am. And... Um, our Suffolk County legislator, who's actually running for Congress, Bridget Fleming, stood up and, and said something to the effect of, this is the future of journalism. And, you know, that resonates with us because we know it's, it to be true that um, if, you can, if you can engage people in your community on issues, I mean, th- these are people in the room that really don't like each other, some of them. And it, the, the topic was about climate change, about rising seas. Montauk is in real trouble. And we had environmentalists. We had hotel owners. We had, uh, obviously, government officials. We, we came into a room together and we talk about the issues. Civilly. Civilly. And they leave, they leave those discussions feeling better, feeling uh, engaged, feeling productive about what the topic is. And continuing the conversation. And continuing the conversation outside of the room. So that's what a local newspaper can do, that, that these larger, uh, you know, international, uh, you know, the Facebooks of this world cannot do. And it's important. When we did a, a newsroom reorganization a couple of years ago, one of the driving messages that that I had that was sort of laid out as the thing was, we need to lead the conversations in the community. We need to be the place that's, that we can't be following the conversations, we have to be leading them. And we also, we had put together a mission statement for our organization when we were still the, just the press news group. And we said, we have to make the papers so vitally important that people can't imagine a day without us being in them. So, I I mean, I think that's the message I'm hearing now here too, that, that that's how, how you do this going forward. And, and that's, those have been guiding principles, um, for us, I think for, for the express, for the press, for the express news group, when we came together, I think it was, it was a very similar kind of an idea across the board, which is why, why I think it's been successful on our end. So not to pat us on the back. Well, absolutely, but but you're you're naive if you think you can just put out a weekly newspaper these days and accomplish all that because people are looking for more and they're 
they're all over uh, the internet. They're all over social media. They're listening to podcasts. They're listening to the radio. We also do a weekly radio show. So we're just trying to be in as many places as possible. And because we have this audience and we have a trusted audience, which is important, uh, people turn to those mediums to, to hear from us and to uh, follow their news that they can't do through other avenues. So it's, it's both sort of a, a, an old school uh, community news trust that we have, but every company up here at this convention will tell you that we need to do it in a more modern way. And I think it's developing and the companies that are successful are doing it well. And those that aren't because of resources, because you know, they've got two or three people in their whole entire organization, even they're finding ways to, to do it better. I mean, doing a making a podcast, you know, you can record it and sit around for an hour and talk and put it out through all sorts of avenues. So it's, it's really a changing landscape in, in our, um, I don't like to use the word media, in our, in our community news groups that um, really I think people are excited about. And I, and, I, and I sense momentum in our industry that I you know, maybe didn't feel three or four years ago. So I'm pretty excited about it. And you guys have a session to get to in about five minutes. So That's okay. <laughs> the, 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 joke, the joke about the publisher's roundtable is that you just talk about the post office and sort of cry into, <laughs> your, into your hands because your hands are so tied. And, you know, it's true. It really is yeah. difficult. Uh, some, some of the logistical things that we face, getting newspapers out, delivered to people every week. No offense. Getting them printed. Paper. Thank God you don't have editors in that room because I don't want to listen to Well, them. you know. I don't want to listen oh, to you I'm guys talk go about the post one. office. I really oh, want to hear yeah. the post office. Oh, there's an editor's roundtable at the same time. You can go to that one. I do try to let you guys know some of the challenges that we face and some of the successes we face. And I think it's important that the public in that room understand what you guys are doing maybe Absolutely. more so than the other way around and uh, I, I was lucky enough to come up in editorial Joe was my uh, was my boss <laughs> several years ago not too long ago and uh, that's our product that's what that's what we that's what we're selling and so uh, yeah the, 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 the publisher conversations are about logistics are about revenue are about how we're gonna survive how we're gonna uh, develop new software new programs but at the end of the day it's that community connection it's the editorial work that you guys do such a great job with that we are, are building our business on. So um, I'm going to try to take the roundtable in a little more interesting conversation than just the post office. <laughs> so, that, so, so should we that. go to yours or should we go to the editors? I think you should go to the editors. Okay. One. All right. Thanks, boss. And I'll report back. Okay. So we'll meet up here. All right. Thank you, Michelle. It, this is great. You know, oh I, this is such a big undertaking every year. I'm, I'm just always so impressed you guys are able to pull it off. Oh, it's managing minutiae. It doesn't take a lot, you know, to do it. It's just managing minutiae. <laughs> I'm making sure the ice cream bars are there. I don't believe that. Yeah, the ice cream bars would be key. <laughs> All right, everyone. So long from Saratoga Springs. Hey, it's our first... Uh, on the road podcast. Yeah, it's our first on the road cool. podcast. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and 
sacharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.